Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. that sound that makes you kind of suspect that something unpleasant is about to happen or it could be another edition of filmically perfect on 91.3 wyso i'm your host nikki dakota in the studio with some film guys who are going to lay a little uh, elucidation on this music and the film it accompanies. And let me first welcome to the studio storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers for 20-plus years and counting, and a uh, friend to all the big stars, also our friend. He's J. Todd Anderson. Welcome. Don't Todd. interrupt me while I'm playing the organ. <laughs> <laughs> also live and in person in the studio, it is the Nitrate Film Archivist for the Library of Congress and huge frame brain he is george willem and our friend george welcome now you know nikki you could have said that it was something horrible and an episode of filmically perfect <laughs> we'll skip that for now we have gathered together today to celebrate the perfection of a movie that is uh, creepy to say the least now we're gonna get a lot of people are gonna like give us a hard time about this being a perfect movie but we don't care <laughs> we don't care we're gonna shout the anybody down that like says oh this is a cheap badly acted movie well, ah! and i will i mean i think i can say without reservation that this is the finest horror film to ever have been produced in lawrence kansas yes that's right <laughs> You're probably safe in saying that. I think they stole some. <laughs> didn't they go to Utah and shoot some of that stuff? Or the oh, there's some. Uh, yeah, they're in the there. Salt yeah. Oh, now you're saying they're talking about Carnival of Souls. That's right. Oh, that's it. The uh, the let's just say uh, genre bending. Can we call it? There's something. Not, oh, I like that genre bending. Genre yeah. bending film that, uh, as you mentioned, not necessarily perfectly acted but there's something quite engaging here i mean it's 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 one of those films that gets in your head and it sticks there you know like the first time you see your grandma naked it's just <laughs> it just that's it you know George. you can never get it i'm oh. sorry i'm sorry oh golly no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> anyway what, see what, what, you know he tried to convince me of, <laughs> he tried to convince me of this, this this as he pointed out he showed me a picture of his Grandma See, that's going to stick said, with you forever. George, just stick it to me. I understand. I understand. <laughs> Put the picture away. It's sticking with me. It is. Well, there goes our family rating it on is. iTunes. Oh, too <clears throat> bad. Now we get an R. I tell you what, though. This movie uh, will suck you in, and it might just leave a, uh, a lasting image in your brain. Wow. It... Uh, it is notable on several levels, but before we get into the details of exactly why, let's remind ourselves and everyone listening in today that uh, this is not willy-nilly, oh, maybe we will, maybe we won't. There's a very strict, stringent set of hurdles that must be crossed, that must be passed before any movie can be called perfect. And gentlemen, what are those rules? Well, I'll tell you what. Carnival of Souls creates the world that it exists in. And it wholly sustains that wild. And regardless of the changes in society, Carnival of Souls retains its meaning and entertainment value. 
And Carnival of Souls shall never be placed in any kind of preferential or numerical order. Each movie, this one being particular we're talking about, is perfect within its own scale. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. If it's, it's just kind of visualize this. You're going into a big art museum. You see all these beautiful paintings. And then there's a child's crayon drawing that's been there for a long time because somebody snuck it in there. And it's been considered art. That's what this movie is. <laughs> just by osmosis. Just by being like, guilty They did by that one time in, in New York City. <laughs> one of those museums. Somebody snuck a child's drawing in there and they didn't catch it for weeks is that really true you're making that up no no really it's true i'm not i don't <laughs> make it this is i always think of this movie like that because through the through the passage of time this movie has garnered more and more respect uh, because of the technique and the craft they use to make it it is beautiful it's very very prettily shot i really like um the first of all there's a lot of small town scenes in it mm-hmm. that i imagine are exactly i mean they're just literally truly driving to a small town it's not set up i mean i yeah. got that feeling anyway well the budget i think on this thing was like seventeen thousand dollars and, and that was the in 1965. year on this again 1962 1962, yes. so $17,000 to get the whole thing made. But there's some really nice, there's the car chase in the beginning that sets everything in motion. But then after, through the driving, I really was grateful to see these sort of snapshots of Americana. One uh, of the best things about this movie, although it is a good movie, is some of my memories I had as a small child, this is the way things looked. They didn't dress anything in this movie. Mm-mm. Everything is... Just, I'm sure they, because of their low budget, they just went in there and started shooting. You're making reference they're, to set dressing, which there's a whole yeah, crew of people for the making of the movie. They're called set dressers, yeah, and they, they go eyes. in and put everything design. on the shelf. And but I think they just found locations and shot them there, just the there way they is sit. like one or two sets in the film. But you're right. For the most part, I mean, and some of the most some of the stuff they found is really, really cool. We'll get into that in a second. But, um, yeah, there's like one or two sets were built for the film. And you're, you're yeah, and money for it. You see couches and chairs and drapes and ashtrays, and it's a whole different time. There's no air conditioning. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember when we were watching the, 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 the Jackie Gleason pool movie. It was kind of like that. It was real Everyone austere. Was hot. Everything was austere in this in this picture, and everything's kind of built for that time and it really is a time capsule looking back into the united states at mm-hmm. that period of time i but, really liked that particularly i mean it's an interesting movie in a lot of ways but i i realized right away that i was seeing how how the, the world looked without alteration actually kind of a nice little right. uh, documentary aspect mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. it so um as we consider carnival of souls a perfect movie uh george could you give us a sort of overview a trajectory of the action in this sure. film um carnival of souls begins with a drag race uh, there's a car with like two or three guys in it, and they challenge another car with the three girls in it to a drag race through the countryside of of Kansas. Um, and the girl who's driving gladly takes up on it. The girl who's riding in the passenger seat is soon to become our main character in the film. Well, they do the drag race. They're crossing the Caw River Bridge, and their car goes breaks through the the railing and goes off into the river and sinks. I've never seen a car sink so fast in all my life. Yeah, that river like, doesn't look pretty deep, but they, they make it And the work. car goes right to the bottom, and they they dredge the river, and they pull. They're, they're looking for the car. They're trying to get, they can't find the car, but while they're dredging the river for it, the one girl comes up out of the river on the shore. And and a little, yeah, and they made a point to say, in the course of it, he was like, it's been three hours, something, something. So you're vaguely aware, oh my goodness, three hours yeah. later, she emerges from underwater. Right, and her name is Mary Henry, 
and and she kind of she gets up she's all wet but she's all right they check her out she's fine and you find out that she is getting ready to go and get a job as a church organist she's already been hired and she's she been hired as leave. a church organist no george it's church organist church organist i want to also say that church she looks uh, just really i think stunningly like Anne h uh, hmm. The actress really uh, notable to me. I could. It took me a while to sort of get that out of my mind. But so she's she, she was already on her way when this tragedy. Right. Befell. Well, and what's really interesting, and and Candace Hillegas, who plays it, it's the only one of two movies that she was in. She's mainly a, a stage actress. Um, she plays it in a very otherworldly tone. I mean, her eyes are often just kind of like staring off, like something's not quite right. Which, as you find out eventually, yes, something's very very something's wrong. Amiss. Something's amiss. But uh, right at the beginning, I believe we have a little sound bite here. Um, she's at the organ factory, which is an actual organ factory in Lawrence, Kansas. And I'm sure that the director was just so tickled because there's this beautiful, huge glass room where they build the organs before they send them off to wherever they're going to be. And and they have this huge, beautiful pipe organ all built with the you pipe see organ cobblers in there yeah. making pieces. And Mary is playing the organ, and everyone's kind of reacting to it. And the owner of the organ factory comes up to her and is kind of talking to her about what she's doing. Well, Mary, you'll make a fine organist for that church. Be very satisfying to you, I think. It's just a job to me. Well, it's not quite the attitude for going into church work. I'm not taking the vows. I'm only going to play the organ. Why, oh, you want more than that? Of course, it doesn't pay much, but, well, at least it's a start. Are you driving by Benton to see your folks? No, I can't. I, I, I must hurry. I, I, I've got to leave. I'm going to drive straight through. Mary, it takes more than intellect to be a musician. Put your soul into it a little, okay? <laughs> she has no soul. Boy, there's a lot of musicians that could probably take a, a cue from that guy. <laughs> I'm not going to name it. It's kind anybody. of funny. It's kind of like a little thing. Okay, put a little soul into it. Okay. Kind of like, you know, and then she sort of like wanders off to the next uh She's gone thing. to the next adventure. To and who job. knows how. As <laughs> she's, well, as she's driving, let's get back to the story. As she's driving, she she passes by this strange kind of moroccan looking building way off in the distance incredibly creepy looking and she just very big yeah very big and abandoned abandoned. and she drives on by it she gets into town and she gets her job and she gets set up in a little little um not bed and breakfast little boarding house and um starts her life in this new town but you know things start happening she begins seeing this little kind of pasty-faced man following her around and whenever he's following around the sound goes away and and she can't communicate with anybody and and then she'll come back and she just and you know she, nothing she has no idea what's going on and to make things worse there's this guy that lives across the hall from her who's just a really kind of dopey he's nerdy my personal guy. hero watch out i like this guy sydney burger is the actor's name sydney burger was i have about... a new favorite actor let me tell you after this movie 50 years later i'm loving this guy he's... she takes a room right she takes and a room right and she... and he's chatting her up all the time and trying to take her out and she really doesn't want anything to do with him and but we should, um, we should go to that cut right now like, yeah we have a little cut here a little a beautiful, you, you're gonna, beautiful conversation a between uh, the two Say, uh, how'd you get to be a church organist? I studied it in college. I could have gone to college. Yeah, I used to play pretty good football, but they wanted me to take a lot of classes and things, you know? Well, they're that way. 
Well, I'm just as smart as the next guy. Yeah, but I just didn't dig what they were teaching in school, you know? And <laughs> the thing I hated most was principal products. Principal products? Yeah, you know, you know, like uh, the principal products of Brazil are... Uh, Coffee, beans, a snake oil, you know, like that. When I was in school, I couldn't care less. Now, you know, what I cared about was girls. Didn't they offer a course in that? If I would have done that, I would have graduated. What's the matter? Can you still taste the coffee? <laughs> Come on, what do you think, I'm an alcoholic? Look, I just like to start the day off in a good mood, that's all. You must be hilarious by noon. Look, I'm just the kind of a guy employed as one, you know, the happy worker. Come, come on, come on, Nay, make your morning happy. This morning, you're exactly what I needed. You're gonna need me in the evening, too. You just don't know it yet. Hey, did, did I tell you? you that guy? Can I get some more coffee over here? That's, <laughs> that's award-winning acting. There. Well, well, that's the thing a great is interesting line. is that the two of them, both Sidney Berger and Candace Hillegas, are both stage actors. And if you would oh. listen to that scene without the context of the film, it sounds like a scene being performed on stage by two stage actors, ah. the way their voices Almost are. like Mike Nichols and Elaine May. <laughs> I like it. It makes you a little bit happier in the morning. Oh, you must be hilarious by noon. That's a great one-liner in an otherwise completely... Creepy, spooky, otherworldly movie. Right, and and <laughs> well, like Mary gets more and more interested in this this old pavilion that's out on the outskirts of town, and she she eventually makes her way out there. She's attracted um, to it. At one point, she goes out there with with the minister who she works with, and it just things don't go well. well. Man. And uh, she ends up back out there, and the dead begin rising out of the waters and and they're dancing in the pavilion and something really strange is going on. I'm not going to go any farther than that because people need to see this. Yeah, you yeah, got to see this it's movie. Because yeah. we'll hit that spoiler alert here in a minute. Right, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> bad. but now let's, I mean, that's the basic story. But the thing that really makes this movie so interesting is that is the people who made it and how they made it and what it is and how it looks. Um, I mean, the film is the only feature ever made by this gentleman named Herc Harvey. Herc Harvey, what a Herc great Harvey, name. Herc Harvey, and he worked for a company in Lawrence, Kansas, where the film is set, um, called Centron. And Centron was around for many, many years, and they made educational films. They made, like, social social graces, social How guidance How get invited films. to a party? Exactly, and they made industrials, which you, of course, you know very much about. And, <laughs> and, uh, and... At one time, uh, Herc Harvey was driving out to a job somewhere, and he was going through Salt Lake City, and he saw this big abandoned pavilion out on the edge of Salt Lake City, and it's a big pavilion called Saltair that was actually built by the Mormon Church as a place for their people to go where they could be safe from, you know, there wouldn't be any alcohol there, and it'd be good, clean fun and swimming and, and that kind of thing. <laughs> and and Saltair had a lot of problems over the years. It burned down a couple times, and, and the, the Great Salt Lake receded, leaving it on the middle of a marsh. So uh, by the time, you know, Carnival of Souls was being made, the, the pavilion was abandoned pretty much oh so that's this one yes he saw this he that, saw this and did the idea come to him yeah then yes, around did. That? everything it, was like he was, was like tent pole for the home yeah movie. i mean he saw this thing boy that's creepy though oh, and I like so he, that. he gets back to lawrence and he has a good friend john clifford uh and he goes to john and he says do you think you could come up with a with a story around this creepy pavilion and so john wrote the script that became carnival of souls and, and indeed, uh, we're talking about this movie, 1962, and um, man, do I love 
that idea that it was the thing yeah. that, that caused the movie. It was salt air. Well, there's two. There's one particular element of this movie that, that drives it. And when you're watching this, you, you're, you get the strange sensation that somebody has made a mistake. She has something slipped through the gates. We don't know whether the gates of hell or the gates of, of, of the pearly gates. We just don't know. Somebody has screwed up. And, you know, hardly ever has there been a movie about either God or, or hell making a mistake on somebody's soul. And here she is. She's wandering the earth like somebody has forgotten about where she's going to go. And you can't – she makes all sorts of statements about how church is just a job. And, and um, we got the, we have one clip we're going to, like, play for you where the minister is so upset by the way she's playing. But you get this very, very weird feeling that something has gone wrong. And she's missed wherever she's supposed to go. And one of the really neat things in this movie that I don't – I have hardly ever seen in any movies is generally in a movie you'll go to a point of view shot where the camera you are the camera and you're looking around but in this movie they go to a sound point of view and they alter what she's hearing and they fade it down and all of a sudden nobody knows she exists she's walking through she can't talk to him she can't communicate but it's all done with a small like sound signal and then they fade the sound down and she is lost She's and no one hears only, her talking. Nobody hears her. She doesn't exist. And it's done through solely point of view of sound. And they do it at least maybe three times, mm -hmm. you think, At least George? three times. And it's just really nicely done. And it, then it is. And the first time it happens, she happened, She was trying out a dress, and she was in the dressing room, and then the, yeah. you begin to get that sound cue. And then when she goes back to tell the woman she'll take it, she won't respond. And, and, uh, and she comes our, out there, and, and the dresses, you can see down the dresses, there's this big X right beside her. <laughs> you know, Maybe it was an accident. I don't know. But it sure looks like she's being canceled out of everything. Well, and the interesting thing is, you know, there's, especially now in, the, in this day of, of ease of production, there are so many low-budget horror films that are made by people who have absolutely no idea what they're doing, how to cut, how to shoot, how to direct, how to place a camera. This film is unique, I think, in that it's a very, very, very low-budget film. And that shows in some places. And some, some of the acting is, is kind of rough in places. Uh, but it's made by people who were consummate professionals. I mean, these guys that made – the guys who worked on this film, all the tech guys, worked at Centron. They knew cameras. They knew lighting. They knew sound. They knew how to set up. They knew how to work fast – because they were doing these little educational films. And since they were doing educationals and industrials, they knew the importance of putting the camera exactly where you needed to have it to tell a story. And you'll notice that camera doesn't move around a lot mm -hmm. because when you're making a small low-budget film, it's always better to use sticks because that way you can move fast. What's like a, stick? a tripod. Oh. Uh, instead of putting rigging a dolly cuz I'm sure they didn't have much time to shoot this. Mm -hmm. And but most of the 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 shooting in this movie is very seamless and it's it always has some sort of image which keeps kind of eating at you that there's something really seriously wrong what's happened to this person where did she go is she in heaven is she in hell and then she well and the little the little figure the little man who just kind of is there who has a, his face is painted his face white, is white and, his and his eyes eyes are kind of blackened and that's yeah. actually Herc Harvey the director oh, yes. playing the little man yeah and i mean there's a great scene where he's underwater and he kind of opens his eyes and looks up you know and and rises up out of the water along with the other 
minions of the dead. Well, I like the idea that they were they were fast and efficient, and I mean they didn't have much money. Mm-hmm. Also, it's notable uh, the scene at, at the at the carnival of of souls it's there, there yeah. um, where they're all dancing. Yeah, and that gets it's really like well slightly undercranked, mm-hmm. and then and you know this movie these guys they may look like they're a lot of people I've heard them criticize it as like oh that's just a cheap awful movie, but. He knows the trick of eye lines. He, this director knows how to where to put an eye line to make it sell. You know, and I watched this several times, and I've watched him do it. He'll alter that eye, eye line, which um, is basically where where the camera is in relationship to, to where you eye. would look straight, where the yeah. actor would like look you're talking up. about where those uh, the dead people are in the ballroom and they're coming toward the lens. He chooses to have them look into the lens right there, and it's it's really kind of gets you. And before you know it, you're thinking. You know, this is a pretty cool movie. And, and plus, they use an organ. That's all they have. Yeah. Gene, it's so, you know, authored, you know, for the person. Gene Moore did the score for it. I, I really don't know anything about him. As far as I know, it's one, he probably was associated with Centron again. But just does this amazing organ score that is just, again, creepy. We, got, and we have a really good cut. Deathful where, and, you know. Where this provokes anger from a minister. Oh, yes. Is, is, is this during one of the times that she can't hear? Is she not this hearing is, well, what she's This playing? is where she's gone to the organ loft to practice. And you see the little man enter the church under the organ loft. And he just kind of stands there. And as she plays... She begins to kind of freak out, and her organ music goes from playing this hymn to just this kind of distorted. And in that montage, you're going to see they use the stained glass window where it shows casting devils, casting out devils. Yes, and then and they mix this up with this music, and uh, and then it it stops abruptly, and. Profane, sacrilege, what are you playing in this church? Have you no respect? Do you feel no reverence? And I feel sorry for you and your lack of soul. This organ, the music of this church, these things have meaning and significance to us. I assume they did to you. But without this awareness, I'm afraid you cannot be our organist. In conscience, I must ask you to resign. In conscience now. Yeah. <laughs> and he's starting to kind of, for those who are really slow watching this movie, he's starting to say, oh, this is a soul. We don't know where this person's wandering. Yeah. And, you know, I think even at the end of the movie, we don't really know whether she made it upstairs or downstairs. No, we just know she's back in shape. But one of the coolest shots in this movie and and who knows how these things happen? But here she is wandering out of the, this really shallow river, which you you know you don't believe it's shallow because the car sunk really fast. <laughs> but she's wandering and she's all muddy, and and that kind of sets the tone for this, this this oblique movie from that moment on. Um, it's you know they use a lot of dubbing and things like that because they were on a budget but for some reason that one shot when you're looking down on her she's all muddy and her dress is 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 kind of clinging to her and she's coming out of the mud that kind of sets the tone for the movie wouldn't you say george oh yeah it really does i thought it occurred to me while i was watching it also that yeah and you would certainly know better than i but that 
it kind of might have might be the progenitor to zombie movies. Those those souls that are dancing. I mean, was yeah, this... it, it's actually another perfect movie we've done. Night Night of the Living Dead was still several years down the road from this one. And can you and recall course, he... anything quite like this where it's like the the <clears throat> half dead, maybe undead, or you know? Well, undefined... that one you got the, that one. The the undead are just kind of you know yeah. they're kind of stumbling. And this zombies. is not as visceral as those pictures. This no. is more. What in the heck's going on here? It almost mm-hmm, has a very mm-hmm. European flavor at times. I mean, just sort of the foreboding. It's almost like something you'd see out of like Norway or or one of the Scandinavian countries in this kind of doom and gloom. Yeah, yeah very uh, much northern. Encrusted story. We have been talking about Carnival of Souls, a 1962 movie uh, directed by Herc Harvey with uh, people that didn't necessarily go on too much except... Um, uh, it's Sydney notable Berger. what the what the the guy next door. Yeah, Sidney Berger yeah. became Smarmy the the, uh, the chairman of the <laughs> theater department of the University of Houston, and created the Houston the- uh, Houston Shakespeare Festival and the Children's Theater Festival. And he retired from there in 2007, but I guess he still actually works there uh, from time to time and works with the festival so you know and i haven't seen this movie on television very much for some reason they don't play no it much, uh, that's uh, an inter- one last thing if we got the time the availability of this movie has become has become a, a lot now i mean it's one of those films like i said gets stuck in your head i remember seeing it on television as a kid only part of it but the images that i saw and i think it was the dance at the pavilion just remain there to this day now, because it, it it is public domain, there's no copyright on it anymore. Um, you can buy it anywhere, and you can even watch it. There's like a bunch of websites that have it. The whole movie, you can just watch it online. But if you want to see the best-looking version of it, our friends at Criterion have put out a set, and it includes not only the original release version, but a reworked and slightly longer version that Herc Harvey put together in the late 80s that is actually does add a few little bits and pieces to the story that help clear up some things. And it looks spectacular from, from the original negative, I believe. Points to ponder. Did Herc Harvey go on to direct uh, much after this? He went back to Centron and directed movies about ketchup. <laughs> ketchup and trucks and, you know, you know things that's like happened. that. They were probably very engaging. Well, that the is... film the film was a failure. The film was a yeah, complete yeah. failure at the box office because the company that they got to release it kind of went under and kind of kind of screwed them over on it, and it just vanished from, from the face of the earth, there's which quite is normal. A few, there's quite a few movies that George and I have on the list that they, they were completely rejected um, out of hand in the beginning, but through time... There's just nothing that can keep them down because they're good movie, mm-hmm. and 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 as time passes, they may have disappeared, but s- suddenly they resurface, boom, and there they are, and uh, here we are. We're talking about it. We may not have talked about it 20 years ago. I remember in film school we didn't talk too much about it, but uh, this thing. Did we want to say anything about the ending before we? Because no. we are almost okay. Good. All right. It, it's notable though. There's a reveal that that that's that's worth it. Uh, we're almost out of time. You were saying in film school that well, we did. You know, this is one of these movies that just has garnered uh, accolades through time, and it just it, it, a lot of movies we talk about and the movies coming up in a couple of weeks. There's a couple other ones that were deemed losers, and the director even deemed, but now here they are, and and uh, it's not always the 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 uh, home run. You know? There's something about watchability that also contributes to that. I mean, if it does engage you visually, you're almost. It's almost like of... they didn't make it for their time, but they made it for a couple generations later. Yeah, and the, like you said, this film is very watchable more than once. Yeah. Uh, every time I look at it, I just it's so much fun. It's a lot going on there, and it is perfect. So say the film guys on filmically perfect Carnival of Souls. 
from 1962, a Herc Harvey perfect movie. Jay Todd Anderson, what a pleasure to be here. Thanks for Thank coming Thank you from by. across the land. <laughs> also, Dr. Phil Lockervis for the Library of Congress. He is George Willeman, our pal. Thanks. And nice to thank see you from you. across my pen. <laughs> Tune in every Friday for Film of Perfect <laughs> on WYSL. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.